Kia ora and welcome to Beyond Consultation, a podcast that will help you in your public or community sector work to increase your impact by doing more than just ticking the box of consultation. I'm Paul McGregor from Business Lab, and we're interested in the mindsets and methods of people who are making a bigger impact by working collaboratively with communities, industries, and other organizations. Ngā mihi mō te Impact is an intriguing word, isn't it? Because originally, it was mainly meaning the force of two things hitting each other. And yet more recently, it's become our favourite word, everybody's favourite word for describing the effect that something has on a person or a situation. There are a lot of challenges that come along with trying to figure out your impact. For smaller organisations, it's just a nice to-do. You know, it's costly, it's time-consuming, and so we go on our assumptions or our hunches. Oh, this feels good, people are smiling, it seems to be working, great, okay. Other times, one of the challenges is that the measures we set up become the targets. I really saw this in play when I was working at the Ministry of Justice. The big, hairy, audacious goal for the ministry at that time was halving the time it takes for justice services to be delivered. There were some quick wins that happened, but after a while I noticed, and this was just my interpretation, that people were getting so focused on getting that number down at any cost. And it blinded a lot of us to other possibilities, uh, other ways of thinking, other lessons that might be out there, because the focus was simply on getting that number down. At the other end, you can have too much data and you become absolutely overwhelmed and it doesn't actually help you to make better decisions. And this is particularly true for funders. You know, they're looking around going, should we invest here? Should we partner with them? Should we fund that? And how do they figure it out? Well, today's guest is Maria English, the CEO of Impact Lab. And Impact Lab was set up a couple of years ago to really tackle that challenge of how do we make it easy for people to understand their impact and communicate that to others. I have to admit, I came into this conversation with a little bit of skepticism because I've seen how data can be misused or manipulated. But Maria's message was that understanding your impact is not really about data. It's about creating a learning process Yes, data is part of that, but it's just one input into a conversation about what are we doing, what are we learning, and what can we do differently. And just as important for Maria, actually, is getting a diverse group of people around the table to make sense of the data together. More data is not the answer on its own. It's about that process of learning together. So I'm really excited about this conversation and it left me wanting to recommend Impact Lab to lots of different people. It's early days in their journey, but already they've worked with over 100 charities and funders. And I can see that no matter where you sit in the system, they're gonna make it a lot easier for you to make sense of the bigger picture and ensure that the voices of whanau and community are really coming through strongly to reduce that gap between those who are making decisions and those 
who you are serving. Before we get into the show, I'll give a wee shout out to Kendra Douglas, who has let me know how valuable these podcast interviews are, which really keeps me going. So thank you, Kendra, to you and for all the good mahi you're doing out there. All right, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the podcast, Maria English. I am very pleased to welcome to the show Maria English. Kia ora, Maria. Kia ora, Paul. How are you Well, yeah, I'm a little bleary-eyed from not a huge amount of sleep, so this conversation could go absolutely anywhere, but I'm stoked to have you on the show because I'm really interested in the mahi you're doing with Impact Lab, and we've had clients of ours who are going, oh, who are these people? They've got a similar name to you. <laughs> how can they help us? But before we get to that, what was it from your upbringing or your childhood that led you into that sort of work? I think probably the thing that had the biggest impact for me was so I, I'm the only girl in a family with five boys, which is a lot of fun. And one of my younger brothers, he has a disability. And I saw, because I was the older sister, I kind of saw those first 10 years of his life. And he was really fortunate because he he came across some amazing teachers and mentors in particular, you know, for him, a big thing was speech. Uh, and he found this amazing speech and drama teacher who worked with him and really just built his confidence and kind of transformed, I think, his sense of himself and how he could be a part of his school, a part of his kind of friendship group in the wider community. And so I think that got me really thinking, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if every young person had that kind of support in their lives to really be supported to decide what it is they want to do and then mm. be developed and and have people walk alongside them to do it and as I went through uni and came out and started working in the public and community sector I guess I saw like a lot of people do that that there's a lot of young people in particular who either don't get that or there are people who want to walk alongside them and can do so but the system doesn't kind of feed them the the resource and support that they need to do that sustainably um, so that got me really excited about the potential to better link up investment decisions to an understanding of who is that young person or that person at the end of the line who we're trying to make a difference for mm -hmm. what do they want and how do we put the right support around them to get there yeah, wow, what a what a way to come into that work. There's that one little phrase you used in there once or twice, which was the young person deciding for themselves what it is they need. And to me, that's really crucial. So often people see something good and they go, oh, you need this specific thing. But actually it's about how can we help people to figure out for themselves what's important. You've had some really diverse career experiences as well sort of on your way through that Boston consulting group you've had an MBA from Stanford then you've been involved in social enterprise here in Aotearoa yeah I guess related to where your passion came from um, with seeing your brother's experience but I mean in your day-to-day -day, Mahi what are you most often leaning on like what are the the knowledges or ideas that come out most often without you even really thinking about it probably the the main thing is respect for expertise of various kinds because I've had the opportunity to do quite a lot of different things. And I think just understanding the power of bringing together different points of view and knowledge focused around the person for whom we're trying to make a difference. And so in my work today, what I love about it is in a day, I could get to listen to and learn from 
financial investors and business people, from the leaders of community sector organizations, from frontline social workers or youth workers or people who are working directly with whānau. Sometimes if I'm lucky from whānau themselves or, or kind of reading their, their stories, and so I think just, just what I lean on is just that listening and curiosity to deeply respect those forms of knowledge and then figure out how do we bring this together <laughs> and get people, get, almost get the conversations, to, you yeah. know, talking to each other in a sense so <laughs> that we can collectively get some clarity that helps the decisions that we've got to make. Yeah. People obviously are listening to this, so they can't see you, Maria, but you've got your hands up. You're almost like, I can see you, you're, you're weaving. You're taking the, the different stories, the different people's ideas and, and trying to figure out how they fit together. Yeah, exactly. I think when I was at Stanford, I was really fortunate to do this really cool program where it was a play-based therapy program working <laughs> with a, a little boy with autism. And that, that was mind-blowing for me because the whole point of the program was as a volunteer, I just get to play with this kid and kind of connect with him on his own terms. Mm. And it, it was quite incredible to see as I was able to start to kind of build a bridge into his universe, mm. just the amazing ideas he had and the things he was thinking about, but it was really hard and he didn't have that many opportunities to, to share that knowledge and share his perspective with the world. So I think a lot of people just, they don't get the opportunity to do that, but yeah. they should, you know? Yeah, especially, I mean, I'm reflecting now on my own experiences working in government and I felt like I was a long way away from the people that we were trying to help. And so it was really hard to empathize with that experience and then make policy advice and decisions based off of that. What do you notice as some of the challenges when you're trying to help all those different points of view to understand and see the bigger picture, the bigger system? I think it is a huge challenge um, and at Impact Lab, that's sort of the core thing we're focused on is how do we make investment work mm. for communities so people can live the lives they choose? And there's often many steps between the investment decision maker and, mm. and the person or the family. I think some of the challenges is how do you do it at any kind of scale? Because yeah. in an ideal world as an investor, you would actually know the person that you're trying to make a difference for and you'd be asking them what they want and what their life looks like. But the reality is, is you don't have time and capacity to do that for, for like hundreds or thousands or even tens of thousands or hundred thousands of people. Yes. So I think or, or maybe that's it. This is where I go, maybe we've got the, the structure in our system the wrong way around and that we've got the decision makers should be the people who are working right next to whānau and community. Well, those are basically your two options, I think, is mm. you either need to put the decision making as far as possible, as close as you can, Mm. ideally with the person themselves and, and we've seen some great models of that in our work at impact lab and or you need to have information flows back up the, mm. the chain to the investors um, that enable you or at least challenge you to consider what is the money actually getting spent on and does that actually help people and make a difference for them or not yeah and one of the things that i'm really interested in here is i guess the question of can we actually measure impact we had someone on the podcast a while back, Dr. Toby Lowe from what's the Center for Public Impact in the UK. And he's kind of the lead advocate around an approach called human learning systems. And one of the things he talked about was when you're working on a really complex 
problem, which has got all sorts of different contributing factors, you can never know if your one intervention was the reason for something happening. You can have a hunch, but you can never really know for sure. So, I mean, you're called Impact Lab. And so I'm, I'm interested in what's your kind of theory of change as to how much you can actually measure that impact and communicate it up and down that, that chain as you were talking about just before. Yeah, so our kind of, I guess, principle around that is to improve the data, we need to use it. So I suppose the point we start from is it is really complex to think about what is involved in how people make positive changes in their lives and what are all the factors and variables that influence that. But our starting belief is we can know something and we have a responsibility to know as much as we can. And the only way to know more is to start with what we have. Uh, and it's been pretty remarkable over the last three years. We've measured over 130 different interventions now. And it's been remarkable to see how much indeed we can know from often data that's already there. At the same time, there's this massive gap between what we can know and probably the reality and also what, what we might want to know. But you've got to kind of get on the get on the journey. It may be also the other part of it is being quite humble and clear about what we can do with the measures that we have, what we can use them for and what we can not use them for, if you see what I mean. Okay. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of easy to, to overstate the case from what the data says to say, well, this yeah. shows, you know, this yeah. works or this doesn't work, but it's never mm. that simple. Mm. And that's where, I mean, I've seen you talking about how you create a learning process and that's one of the things I see when organizations are thinking about how do we use data to understand our impact is you can come at it from one perspective as a proving perspective. So we're collecting this information you know, as a service provider so we can prove to the funder that we're good, so you should give us more money. And that often then leads to people tweaking the information to make them look better. Or you can come at it from more of that learning mindset of, we want to capture this information and understand it so we can gradually get better and better and better, which is what I'm hearing is really what you're trying to incorporate into the, the system that you're building. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what we um, do with organizations typically is we start with a baseline. And so our tool, Good Measure, basically helps the organization get a baseline view of what is the long-term difference we're making in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And we, we use a social return on investment metric to do that so basically it says for every dollar is invested in this program this is the mm. impact we estimate is returned to Aotearoa through better incomes for people avoid a government cost improvements mm. in people's intrinsic well-being but to get that baseline we sort of start with one info we have, which is from the organization themselves like how many people did you work with in a given period what did it cost how much did people engage what do you know about the people that you're working with in terms of their their aspirations or their needs and then we look at well what is the available research base for this type of intervention and what do we see from government data so for example mm. it might be a, a program that helps people get employment mm. so what do we know from government data about if you go from being unemployed to employed the impact of that on your income on your healthcare costs on your msd costs so there's a whole lot that goes into that baseline mm. but it's never enough <laughs> it, all, all yeah. it really does is it it generates the next 20 questions right which mm. might be for example actually a recent case we're looking at with a mentoring organization we've looked at the impact of say re-engaging a young person with education and the benefits of that to their future 
But this particular mentoring organization works with young men specifically who don't have a male role model in their lives. So actually the impact of that is probably a bit different to a mentoring organization that works with young women, right? So (laughs) it just generates this whole next set of questions. And then we come back after a year or two years or whenever makes sense and we remeasure. And what's amazing is organizations are often able to significantly improve their own data collection in that time and get much better visibility of what's going on. And that in turn means we can capture more of the value of what they do. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So you're starting with this baseline from whatever information you've got in your organization, plus whatever else is out there um, from research or government. And then I guess what I'm also trying to understand from you, because you mentioned there, you know, we come back in a year or two and see what's changed. Oh, a year or two is a really long time. I'm on a board of an organization that's existed for three years. And so, you know, we wouldn't have a huge amount of information to ev- even as our baseline. And two years time is a long time away for us. So I'm interested as well, like, what are you noticing as working well? Like you've got this baseline to in a much shorter period of time to continue learning from that information and that data that you've gathered? Yeah, well, what we're trying to measure with social return on investment is the kind of long-term lifetime shifts Mm. that the service contributes to. So in that sense, actually, the time cycle is even much longer uh, Mm. because we're, we're basically trying to predict for people you're working with this in the past 12 months, Mm. what's the effect of your support across their, their life. And it could be benefits that they secure like 10 years after they leave your service. Yeah. yeah. Um, So from the person's perspective, I think it's, it's a really lifetime view. So then Mm. if you think about what you can do as an organization today and decisions you need to make next week, next month, next year, a lot of that's really to do with, I think, optimizing the kind of where and how you invest time and strategic resource. And then the customer or the user experience of your service and operationally how well it all works. So so what we're kind of seeing, we're sort of learning as we go, but what we're seeing is (laughs) to generate an SROI, you need operational data. Social return on investment. Exactly, social return on investment. (laughs) You need operational data about things like, you know, who's turning up to your service and how are they engaging with it. In the process of getting that data for the SROI, often organizations are able to improve the, their regular system for capturing that. So for example, mm-hmm. we worked with a, an organization in Canterbury that runs a child therapy program. And one of the questions we ask in our measurement process is, what do you know about kind of the vulnerabilities of the children in the program when they come in? Uh, and the organization realized they wanted to collect more specific data about that. So they ran a sort of improved their survey and found that a whole bunch of the kids they work with are neurodiverse. Hmm. And then they've, in the kind of six months following that first measurement, they've retooled all their training programs or staff to better sort of meet the needs of that specific group of kids. So that's a good yeah. example where you get the data for the baseline for this big, big lifelong measurement, yeah. but actually you can then identify where you can improve your system from week to week and month to month to better mm. meet people's needs. So it's really, mm. The function of the long-term measurement is only as good as what it helps you do that makes yeah. your decisions better now yeah. and tomorrow and next week for your users, right? Okay. So so that impact measurement, in, in a sense, tells you where to go and try something next. It's, it's sort of lining you up and going, okay, you should go over there and maybe you need to improve that part of the process, try some things out, and then in a year's time, you might go, 
oh, okay, that has or hasn't had the impact that we were looking for. Exactly. It's almost like shining a light in a direction. Yeah, yeah. And then it's really over to the to the organisation and the decision makers, knowing all the things they know about context, which we don't, coming from the outside, oh. it's over to them once the light's there to kind of explore and, and try things. But one of the things that I've found really hard in the past, I, I'm not, I wouldn't describe myself as a data guy. You know, I'm more the, the people person. And so I find challenging either there's way too much data and I get overwhelmed and saw a, a board pack for an organization that we're working with. It was 250 pages for the board and about 60 pages of those with just this collection of data. And I'm going, how are they making sense of that? Or the other happens where I work in an organization and there's, there's next to no data. And so you're, you're sort of making decisions blindly. What's helpful to kind of find a nice middle ground in there? So we have a um, value in our team, which is simple is smart. <laughs> Right. Uh, so I guess um, what we mean by that is often the smartest use of data is actually to simplify it to a point that it's easy to understand. So it's almost doing the work of 150 pages, but then doing the extra work to get that mm. down to the five pages that crystallize it. Yeah, the so what. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think it really, what we're finding is it's quite different for different decision makers. So some, particularly from a funding side, some funders we work with, they really want all the technical detail and they want to mm. really examine all the underlying inputs, but really far more often they don't have time to do that because they are, they are time strapped. They just need to make decisions and move forward. Yeah. And so Which actually- Which of these 60 organizations <laughs> should we fund and you've got two days to figure it out? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so what they really need is something that's um, sort of simple and understandable that they can trust. And so that it's really kind of that, that trust building process that then enables the simplicity. But we still, I think we're still trying to find the right, the right point there. But, but my general observation is it's really hard as a decision maker to use mm. information that is not simple and yeah. clear. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can, of course, go to the other extreme where you focus too much on one particular measure i mean i started my career out of uni at the ministry of justice and there the primary measure of success was the time from the time it takes for a court case to go through the courts and the, the goal there was to reduce that time by 50 percent. and there was real mixed feelings within the organization about how valuable that was and I think part of the challenge with that as a measure was you might go through a case really quickly, but that doesn't mean that you're still being well served through it. And it also showed to me kind of the cultural aspect that can come into some of this using data to make better investment decisions. And so I'm interested for you, Maria, and, and your team, how does culture and, and different cultural values come into this question of how do we measure impact over time? Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good one. And I think we're just kind of probably in the beginning of, of learning around that. I think the way we've found is really helpful to work is to sort of start with a really clear view of almost like what is the common ground in terms of what's, what's the mission here? or what's the co-cover mm. of what's happening. And that won't fully overlap, but we really try to make 
our mission, whatever it is that is the mission of the organization and those decision makers. Because if we've got that kind of clear North Star, then we can kind of navigate through all sorts of things towards that. And when I say navigate, I guess what I mean is it's basically sort of working out what's in the first instance, what is she, what is a shared vocabulary for the things we're mm. talking about? Because we use very specific words. The organizations we work with often use really specific words. And we need to kind of, even in the words we're using, get on the same page. Yeah. And then from there, once we can speak to each other from different perspectives, then we can work through this process and kind of surface all the assumptions and challenge those mutually and hopefully get to somewhere that gets the decision makers together closer to the mission that we share. Mm -hmm. So just to give you one kind of really practical example, we're working at the moment with an amazing organization in Tauranga called Te Tunga Whanau, who work with primarily Māori whanau who have a desperate need of housing, but then they work with them to support them with the housing, but then much more broadly across all their priorities to kind of move on to the next step of their lives in a positive yeah. way. And we did a whole lot of research around kind of housing and, and wraparound social service models and brought that to them. And then now we're in this awesome discussion about the concepts that come out of that kind of primarily Western academic research base and the concepts that they apply in their own work um, and their own worldview and kind of put them in conversation with each other. Like what's <laughs> common here, what's distinct? Mm. And then for their purposes, you know, what's what's useful for them to take on board with their practice, but also what's useful to be communicated back to the funders. So it's, it's mm. not kind of easy, but it's, a, it's an mm. awesome process. Mm. Yeah. And what, what I'm getting from you and all of this, Maria, is very much is an ongoing conversation. I keep hearing you say. So I don't know. In, in my mind, I almost had this idea that, and that this can happen sometimes, that evaluation is something done by someone else out there or there might be a specific evaluation team and they're almost sometimes a little bit divorced from the rest of an organization you're, you're nodding so maybe you've you've seen that as well but what I'm hearing from you is actually really bringing this in around the leadership table and getting Kamatua you know talking to each other and understanding the different worldviews different perspectives and then data is kind of just one part of that that is informing that conversation which is quite a different way of looking at it yeah, well, I guess it's because because in the work we do, what we're, we've found is you've got to have the co-conversations. We sort of started, actually, we started with just collecting the data and outputting some <laughs> metrics. But because you need to influence decisions, you kind of need to trust what you've got. And the only way to build mutual trust is to, yeah, is to talk. And I think as well, because these methodologies are being, like we're developing and they're not well tested yet, the best way to improve, you know, the methodologies and the measurement is through learning from people on the front line who can test our yeah. methods against the realities they're seeing. So it, it comes back to that learning process and, mm -hmm. and kind of just, just continuing to learn and improve and hone with the aim of getting closer and closer to an understanding of the reality of the person who's trying to make a positive change in their life. Maria, this is awesome. I don't, I'm excited about data and <laughs> using data to help make better decisions. And um, I think for a lot of people, that is something that they go, oh, that's time consuming and that's a nice to do. So I'm completely all for anything that can make it easier for people and more realistic within their working life. And and I know as well, so you, you've kind of got two focuses in Impact Lab. You've got the, I might get the names wrong. You've got Good Measure, which is for service providers, which we've talked about a little bit. 
And then you've got Good Investor, which is more for funders. Can you tell us a little bit more about Good Investor and what you're trying to achieve sort of more higher up in the system? Yeah, so from an investment perspective, I guess, so Impact Lab was founded by people kind of coming out of the public sector and New Zealand's done some amazing work with sort of public sector data that's, yeah, pretty, anytime I tell anyone else around the world about it, they're always pretty amazed um, and impressed by it. But, but basically a lot of that work's been to do with linking up data from across government mm. to better understand how a person journeys through all these different government services and kind of where investment flows and what makes a difference. And so some of the early work that was done around that was basically looking at, you know, what is the lifetime cost of government service interaction for each New Zealand? And when they did that analysis, they found that 15% of New Zealanders use half of government services. Mm-hmm. And that's things like justice, hospitals and healthcare, housing, welfare, Uh, And that 15% of people have really complex lives and they really need effective services, but often the mainstream services don't work that well for their particular needs. Uh, And so a lot of the kind of original motivation for setting up Impact Lab was how do we better understand the needs of the most vulnerable people in our society and better get investment to serve those. And so that's where I think from an investor's point of view, it's really critical to have good data because Mm -hmm. Critically, each person within that kind of most vulnerable 15% is quite different from the next person. So we worked with a disability organization recently where they work with families to manage and direct their own funding to get support around the disability. So we're working with this this organization that said they, for example, we have some parents of a child with autism and they've found a particular dimension of bathtub is much better (laughs) for their kid. And so it's it's that particular, it's like the dimensions of the bathtub. So you can see the challenge from an investor's point of view. So that's what we're kind of building the toolkit for is to support those investors to understand, you know, if you're looking at different types of programs or interventions, like who specifically are they reaching? What can we know about the specific aspirations and vulnerabilities of those people? And then how do we sort of link the investment to to an understanding of potential impact mm-hmm. and we see some fascinating things like just I guess there's a kind of an obvious example but if you're investing in a program that works with a highly vulnerable group of young people it might cost 10 times more to support those young people than if you're working with you know the average young New Zealander mm-hmm. but on the other hand when we look at the pathways that those young people take mm-hmm. and this is just based on historical data it might actually be many more than 10 times you know, the value in terms of the opportunity to make a positive shift in Mm. the lives of those young people. So this is the kind of, this is the thing, it's shifting from thinking about cost to thinking Mm. about value in the context of the specific vulnerabilities of the people that you're investing to support. Does Mm. does that kind of make, make sense? Yeah. So what I'm getting from you is this, by understanding what is the longer term picture of a person's life, and what might happen based on previous information that we've got, you can then be making different decisions about how the system works right now. And so a good investor is about trying to understand what is needed at a really specific level for a person, but then how do we help an investor to understand that across lots and lots of people? Hmm. 
It's, yeah. This is hard to explain, isn't it? I know, it is hard to explain. So, so when we do a good measure with a charity or a service provider, there's often an investor that sits behind that, that's supporting mm. that. And so we're starting to do work with those funders or investors to look at, for example, if they're investing in 20 different programs, we can measure all of those programs and then take a step back and kind of look at the whole portfolio and mm. kind of get an understanding from an investment perspective of where is your investment reaching versus not reaching and what are some of the insights from comparing within your portfolio what's going on? Like, are there things some organizations are doing really well that others could learn from? Are mm. there just like different models of investment needed for different types of programs? So that's sort of, um, that's what we're developing in partnership with a lot of funders. And then we are this year focusing particularly on the housing sector as a kind of use case. Because, you know, there's a lot of impact investing in particular into housing. But, you know, the question is, how do you as an investor think about not just the fact we built a house, like a social house or an affordable house, but what is the impact of that on the lives of the people in it based on who they are, what they want, and what other services go around it. Yeah, so it's trying to understand the bigger picture, the bigger system around a person. The other thing that's that's really interesting for me in Impact Lab is using technology to understand the frontline impact in new ways. And often what I see is there's a real lag time from somebody taking an action out there in community with a, with Fano to that being measured, that measurement being assessed and made sense of to then sort of coming to an investor and and then then making a decision based off off of that. So I mean how how might we use technology to kind of speed that up? Yeah, well, I think that's that's what's so exciting about working in in this space now is I yeah. think there's probably not been a time in history better yeah. than right now to do this kind of work because the technology is at a point where there are things that are possible that, that have never been before. So I, I kind of twigged onto this because my first project at Boston Consulting Group was actually working with a toilet company and we were helping them kind of revitalize, select their range. I learned a lot about toilets. But the thing that really struck me was I did that project and then I did a number of sort of social sector projects with the Australian state and federal mm. governments. And, and what I realized was that the toilet company had a much more granular, concrete understanding of their customers than <laughs> the Australian social services agencies had about their customers, which were you know, the most vulnerable people in Australia. So if, if I think about the kinds of technology that that toilet company is using, it's things like you know, good, good systems to collect information about right. what service are they providing, where who is it that's turning up in the store and how often and what are they what do they like and what do they not like and what do we know about their preferences? What does all of that cost? And then using all of that information to make some really complex decisions across a whole supply chain about mm. how do we get the right product in front of the right person at the right time. Mm. Now, if I compare that to the social sector, a lot of that technology has really been a lot slower to be adopted. And I think part of the reason for that is there's not really any reward for adopting it. Mm. Um, it's investment you've got to make significant investment in these systems <laughs> yeah. but but uh, you're not rewarded for knowing more about your user yeah. you're not really necessarily rewarded for delivering them a better experience and so so I think there's a real opportunity to use the measurement to highlight you know the benefits of investing in understanding your users better but we also now have the technology to do that because there's 
you know, off the shelf systems that for relatively low cost can be quite effective at, yeah. at capturing information. Everyone's got, well, not everyone, a lot of people have yeah. mobiles and mm. they can provide information if there's a benefit to them of doing yeah. so. And then of course we have the data infrastructure to capture huge amounts of data, but then quite quickly yeah. make sense of it. And so we can look through data about hundreds of thousands of people and come to some pretty clear conclusions that can then be useful for helping a specific. I'm interested then, how does privacy come into this? Especially when I'm hearing you talking about, oh, we're working with lots of different agencies, helping them to understand the system. Again, I'm mentioning MOJ a little bit here today. When I worked there, I worked on privacy and information law. And the number one barrier that agencies would talk about when asking about sharing information was, oh, we can't because of the Privacy Act. Sometimes that was true. Most of the time it wasn't, but there was this cultural barrier where people thought, oh, we can't share information. Is that a challenge that's coming up for you or people pass that? Yeah, so it's a really important consideration and it's absolutely critical from a trust perspective because mm -hmm. I, guess, I guess one way of looking at it is that it ultimately people entrust their data to organizations or they entrust it to government mm. with the belief that that information is going to be used in a way that's beneficial for them and also for the wider community. So, so there's a lot of, I think there's a lot we're finding there's a lot that can be done with anonymized data. So all the data mm. we, we work with from charities and organizations, that's, it's all anonymized. And when we work with public data, there's extremely tight kind of governance around what you can access, yep. how you get it out, what can be shared and so on. So I think that's all really, really critical. But then the puzzle is also, you know, why people are willing to entrust their information to um, a lot of different types of companies whose services they use. And often the answer is because by doing so, they they get, you know, they get a better <laughs> service. And that's kind yeah. of what I've heard from nonprofits who have have been able to get a really good feedback loop with their users is what they've said is, well, families are, are happy to share information if it's not that you're asking for the same information a hundred times oh, yes. and, you're not, yep. and you're not using it to yeah. make their service better. But if, if you're yeah. kind of being really respectful about it, really transparent about it, putting them in the driver's seat and you can demonstrate that it means that the experience and support they get is better, then that's that's when it's it's something that they're willing to do. Maria, what you've been talking about sounds very powerful to me. And it's kind of amazing that Impact Lab is really only just in the early stages of exploring what this is. I mean, you mentioned that you've had over a hundred charities and agencies that you've been working with so far. What is the first step for somebody who's listening and going, we need to get this started? in our charity or our funding agency? Yeah, so we're always keen to talk to people who are interested in this. Uh, so <laughs> we've got a, a website, which is impactlab.co.nz. Uh, and there's an info page there where you can flick us a note. And yeah, just, just share a bit about your organization and what you're thinking about. Mm. But we're always keen to, to explore. I, go, I suppose mm. in terms of the type of measurement we do, it's it's for people. So if you're an environmental focused charity, we can't help with that, but there's certainly others mm. who can. And then there's kind of, I think what we find is important is if you want to get on this sort of journey of data, mm. step one is to get clear about the mission of your organization and what it is you're trying to achieve for whom. And once you're clear on that, then you can start to think about, you know, what's the journey of change that someone goes through and what kind of data you might collect around that. And we're always keen mm. to explore, but I think getting really clear on the core mission is a kind of, that's the, the first step because everything else flows mm. off that. 
Mm. And is it a pay paid service? Is it government funded? How does that work? Yeah, so to do a good measure is $25,000. And that's a kind of four to six month process to go really deep mm. on a particular program. And we kind of do different funding models for it. Most often, there'll be a, a funder who wants to support the work, and then a charity mm. who wants to partner to do that. We also yep. work with a number of charities who don't just don't have that kind of resource. And in those cases, we look to match them with a, a funder or investor who's interested in the same area or wants to support mm. the type of work that they do. So we're, yeah, we're always kind of just working through how do we, is the weaving again, how do we bring people yeah. together around this shared mission to get, to get this kind of measurement happening? <laughs> awesome. Maria, any final thoughts or things you were hoping to talk about today? I guess, well, I'm just curious in, in your perspective, Paul, particularly coming from the public sector on all kind of where you see the the opportunities with impact or or improve how decisions get made because I guess you're coming from a different mm. a kind of different perspective <laughs> yeah well one thing that I'm really interested in is how you involve whoever the end user of the services community whanau how, how are they involved in that process of understanding investment decisions, yeah, defining for themselves, this is what's needed. So I guess that's that's really where I see there's a huge opportunity. And my experience of working in government was one where the people using the service were so far away from us in our ivory tower making decisions about that would impact people. So I'm interested in anything that can close that gap. Mm-hmm. And, and so... This is what excites me about the mahi you're doing with Impact Lab is I can see that you're really you're making it a much shorter time frame for people to uh, understand the impact of things that are going on, but also you can close that gap uh, a lot more as well. So, to my mind, that's the key opportunity around data is how do you actually involve the people who are impacted by investment decisions. Yeah, that's yeah, it's an awesome point. And I think it's always interesting to think about well, how could this measurement be useful to the people who are using the services directly? And a charity we worked with recently told us that they've actually changed how they market to their potential clients because yeah, because we look at impact holistically. And so mm-hmm. I think in that case, the charity was a sort of financial support focused charity. They help people deal with debt. But <laughs> what they found in the measurement was there's there's a whole lot of mental health impacts you know, unsurprisingly associated with having a high debt load. And if you can alleviate the debt, there's a lot of mental health benefits to that. So they actually, they changed how they market out to communities to say, we are focused on your mental health and and we we think our intervention can actually support to relieve not just the debt itself, but the stress associated with that and all the long-term things that go with that. And I think that was, that was really exciting to hear because then it's sort of changing the way that people have an opportunity to understand that service Mm. and then choose to engage with it or not engage (laughs) with it Mm. so yeah it's certainly something that we're thinking about a lot and trying to figure out how who do we partner with to bring that that in more directly to the to the measurement and then, then probably the other one that comes up for me is wondering how this helps organizations to work on the underlying causes rather than symptoms i've i've worked in organizations where i've been going this is kind of nice it feels good but actually we're really just scraping the surface and so i mean that example that you've 
you've just mentioned there is helping the organization to just see that bigger picture and go, ah, oh, actually, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on here. So for me, that's probably the other big opportunity for using data in different ways is to understand, you know, what are the upstream impacts of what's going on here? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And the information kind of gives a shared fact base to, to think about that because I think a lot of that is coordination challenges. I talked actually just yesterday to a student who's doing her master's around rheumatic and just trying to understand the whole ecosystem of different <laughs> services and organizations that Ugh. are involved in addressing that. Yeah, and it's, yeah. It's, it's really complicated. She spent, you know, yeah. I think a whole year on just mapping that out. Mm. But I think, yeah, there's the, the having the kind of shared understanding both of who it is that mm. we're trying to reach and what's the net result to their experience of this kaleidoscope of different services i think it focuses some of those discussions around collaboration and coordination quite differently because mm. it's it's it, it gives a purpose to it, it gives a north star to where mm. the gaps are that people might be falling through maria this has been a fascinating conversation and i've really enjoyed hearing some of the similar language actually that you've used that um, we do here in Business Lab. So I'm, I'm keen to keep talking and, and sharing this with people because um, I know people listening will have found this really valuable. So kia ora to you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Paul. Great to talk to you. And thanks for staying awake. I'm impressed. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beyond Consultation podcast. What did you learn from the show? What should we have talked about? Who else should I interview? I would love to hear your feedback. And if you want to learn more about what you heard today, everything from the show is at www.businesslab.co.nz slash podcast. If this episode has left you with a burning question, please feel free to submit a voice message through the link on our podcast page. We can then ask that question of a guest in a future episode. Or tag me in a post on LinkedIn or Facebook and I can point you in the right direction. If you want to know when we release new episodes, make it easier for yourself and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Again, thank you for listening. Nga mihi mo te whakaronga.